Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, non-van life edition, bringing you, if you listen to this podcast already, apologies, uh, bringing you last week's episode this week because, frankly, the audio recording was not up to snuff last week, so we are remedying that situation. Yeah, I mean, we had, uh, there was a bit of, one microphone was off, and then I was coming over off of a cold, so I was holding the mic too close, and yeah, there was just a Lots lot of stuff. So, in any case, we wanted to do a better job on this one. Hopefully, that's a testament that we want to do well in these, and, and bring you the information in a concise way, so we can get into it. All right. So, first big question that we tackle is... How to train best when periodization can't be done. So this question got asked by someone who is doing shift work where it's not necessarily a consistent schedule, uh, you know, working four days on, three days off. This is kind of applicable to anyone, though, who works, whether it's nights, whether you just kind of you work retail and you don't have a consistent schedule. You just have kind of weird hours that fluctuate. Um, I think it can be a bit of a disheartening thing when you look at all of these training plans, read all of these training articles, and they're really designed for the Monday to Friday, nine to five, just kind of standardized worker who has the weekends off to go long. But that's just not really applicable to, honestly, a growing number of the population. I, I feel like there's so few people who really just Monday to Friday, nine to five, weekends off, no problems. Uh, for sure. I mean, fewer and fewer of us are working nine to five schedules. So, I mean, I think we probably need to rethink how we look at the structure of the training week. Uh, did the person actually ask periodization? Periodization sure. was the specific. Oh, so look at this person. I think there's almost a, a misconception because of how they're seeing traditional training plans laid out that it just can't be done any other way. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you step back, like a lot of things, periodization is just a theory. And, you know, it, it certainly is contested in a lot of circles that, you know, you have to do this big base build and then, you know, the specific phase and, you know, how does that even apply these traditional thoughts when you're doing crit racing or, or short track racing or cyclocross, how does that apply to that person, right? Like, you know, or, or the hundred miler one is probably the best example where would you do, you know, long, slow distance in the summer? And then what happens when you get to the, or, you know, or sorry, in the winter, and then you would get to the summer and then you just again do long, slow distance because it's specific. So it's, it's sort of unclear, right? I think there's like any model, there's good pieces to it, but we want to be careful because you want to look at the goal. And then you also want to look at that person or the point A, point B. For sure. And yeah, I mean, most of us do not have the ability to do base season like the pros are doing, where you're talking about 30 plus hour weeks on the bike. You know, we are not Matthew Vanderpool. We are not Marianne Voss. I realize my references are starting to get dated when I talk about athletes. I'm sorry. I just, I'm from this generation. Well, um, we were just called Noah's parents by these younger kids, which was sort of funny. Noah is a 22-year-old that I, I work with. I, uh, races were all cut. Very... I can't believe you're even saying this on the podcast. I think you just took the Paris Mountain KOM in uh, North Car North Carolina or South Carolina? Excuse I'm not me. sure. We're, we're right on the border. So it's Greenville. Hard. Yeah. I think it, yeah. Greenville, South Carolina, Thank but he you. could have gone into North Carolina. I'm not sure. Uh, this is yeah. tough. Okay. Tricky. So there uh, you apologies go. Apologies if we've messed up. In any case. Then. 
Yeah. In any case, Molly basically went back, you know, crying into the van. I just left. Yeah. I exited the situation immediately. I was so upset. So I also got asked, I'm just going to finish this story by pointing out. I also got asked when I asked like, oh, you know, which direction is going to be better to run the youth and like, God love them. They were trying to be very polite to the older, the elderly couple that had showed up. Uh, but they're like, oh, well, there's a nice little coffee shop that you could jog to just down the way. Oh dear Lord. So Molly's training for her hundred milers and they're trying to get her, you know, to the, you know, there's the seniors discount. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Bird Cafe if you get there. Oh my God. In yeah. any case, we're all getting older. I booked uh, my facelift. I don't know about you. And but... So this is again where periodization. I think there's useful things. We don't want to just throw it out because, you know, maybe it was invented during heavy doping times and it was more for cycling drugs than it was for, you know, any sort of athletic performance. There's all sorts of criticisms, but I think the main tenets are that you sort of have these mini units, we might call microcycles. There's the, you know, which are just weeks a lot of times. Mesocycles sound a lot like months. And then there's the annual or, or you know, even just the blocks, what might be training towards your first goal, uh, which maybe is a spring classic or a summer race or something like that. And that would be macro cycle. And so I think those pieces make sense. And so the most obvious answer to me is if the question was strictly about periodization versus just, you know, planning the week, periodization still probably applies in that you might have a race goal in July or August, and you're going to train towards that in blocks of some type to get there, to get yourself ready, to get yourself fit for that task. So I think the quickest answer to this question is that still you're going to have that seasonal planning that still applies, but you might also have to, certainly you're going to have to look at this four on four offs type schedules we see with police, nurses, you know, different things. You work 12 hours for four days a week or, you know, construction workers have this four days of, of 10 hour days type thing. So I think you're just going to have to rework your week to account for that. For sure. And that means the traditional training plans that you, you know, get out of the magazine, even just any pre-made training plan is probably just not going to be applicable to you. And I think a lot of, a lot of the issues we see is people trying to cram that training in, like squeeze that training in or like fit the the square peg round hole kind of thing where they have the training plan and they try to like jam it into a schedule that just is not conducive to that. So. Well, never, you know, what would you do? You would do take five to six days of training and then you'd compress it into four but it's a little tricky because some of these people, you know, the firefighters for, would be an example where they actually often get a chance to do maybe some strength training or some like cardio at the the fire hall or, or wherever you work. You know, there's probably applies to a few different people. And then if you're someone who's a nurse or someone who's working overnight or, you know, a firefighter has emergency stuff overnight then the first day you're off isn't necessarily a great day to train. And, and most of the people, when I build plans or, or when we're coaching these, these folks, they have a great idea of when it's possible to do things and what they're willing to do or what is, you know, makes sense. But usually that first day off of work, this gets confusing sometimes off of work isn't, you, know, you don't just start hammering it. So that idea of shifting five days into four would get dangerous because where you couldn't necessarily fit them, there actually might only be three days there. Or in some cases, maybe your first day back to work, you might actually have the daytime during that period. So it, it's, it's quite finicky. It gets tricky, but usually people figure out a rhythm there where they can do maybe a little bit on one or two of the days that they're working. And then maybe three of those days that they're off of work they can, they can get in some training. Sure. Uh, and then even 
a lot of the shift work, nurses, firefighters, police officers, you know, some, some weeks it can be very flat, very, you know, just not a whole lot of stuff going on at work. Whereas there's other weeks or especially the day before you're off where it's super hectic, there's a ton going on and you actually kind of need that first day off just to recover from the work you've done at work, especially with more, the more of these physical jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Or the ones with sleep deprivation. Yeah. So really a lot of it isn't going to necessarily be planable. So you do, I think, have to be a little bit... Flexible. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, making day-to-day -day uh, decisions for sure. Uh, there's a bit of a rhythm there, but it is that question of how do you progress it? And I think it would be similar if, if you had, maybe there's those three days that are pretty consistent where maybe those plus or minus on the hours, you're going to increase those, maybe your intervals plus or minus, you're going to increase those. And then the week to week variation you're going to use, you know, maybe coupled with something like an HRV measurement, uh, and just paying attention to, you know, did you sleep? Are you feeling tired? Are you feeling motivated? Then you could come in and say, okay, I'm going to just bring it back a, a notch on the intensity, or I'm not going to increase the amount of intervals I do this week. I'm going to stick with three by 10 instead of going to four by 10. I'm going to be on the lower end of the, the volume range. A lot of times I'll use that 90 minutes to three hours, which seems big, but this is, you know, especially for these folks, this is going to be where 90 minutes is what we want. If it's a great day weather, great day energy, then go for three hours. And I think that that usually that fits pretty well. Um, but you, hopefully you can see how that would, over the course of the mesocycle, the month, if you will, then you could see that increase in, you know, boom, boom, boom. And then the tricky bit is that there's probably still a rest week where even though you're off of work and you have time, you might not train as much as you possibly can because you're taking a deload week. And that's where, again, the periodization principles might still apply where we still take rest days, we still take rest weeks uh, as we plan towards that race goal. For sure. And if you're in these situations, this is a great reason to either go for you know, booking a call consult with a coach, Ahem, Peter, uh, we'll include a link to that in the show notes. If you want to just kind of talk through what might make the most sense for you, even just kind of on a more general basis, uh, or it's a great chance to use our three month custom made for you training plan, which actually would then take your schedule into account as you're sort of planning the next three months of training. So we will sure. include links to both of those over in the show notes. And maybe the only other piece on that is the use of those work days, the days you're at work would be, you know, certainly it's okay to do 10, 20, 30 minute of, we could call it cardio or zone two or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then also a little quick strength yoga, those sort of things can fit in there. If you have time, making sure that you prioritize those big rocks, the sleep and, and what have you, a lot of people will walk on those days. And I think that's great too. But if there's any room there to insert those little pieces, not 30 minute suffer fest though, because you're, those are your stressful days where the sleep might be off. But I think some of these more rejuvenating sessions could still be quite valuable, even though it doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Perfect. So next question, this is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, my wearable says to take an off day. Should I listen? So this is something I wrote about extensively for Canadian cycling last year, where I was wearing like several different wearables and using them all and measuring, but also doing a bit of a double blind on myself, thinking about how I felt in the morning compared to them uh, and then talking to all these experts. And the long story short, and we'll get into the nuances here, is that if you feel fantastic and your wearable says that you're tired, maybe believe yourself, not your wearable. Uh, 
I mean, yes, we're, we're subject to human error, but your wearable is way more subject to technical error um, or just even the nature of your training might mean that you're supposed to be fatigued today and doing the training. Mm -hmm. uh, you're in a loading phase, so you should actually be seeing that you're tired. Um, so there's just like a lot of nuance around wearables. And the, really the, the main thing that we kind of encourage is when you wake up, before you check your scores on your phone to find out what your ring or watch or whatever is telling you, do a quick little check-in with yourself. Take 10 seconds. Just breathe. Think about how am I feeling right now? Then you can check your scores and see how they, they stack up. But I think too many times we look right at the wearable, we see it's in the red, and suddenly now we feel like crap, even though if we had asked, you know, 10 seconds ago, how we felt, it would have been fine. Mm. Is that article that you mentioned that's available if we link to that? Uh, you'd have to be a subscriber oh, to a... Canadian Cycling. Oh, that was okay. the big feature I did. It's okay. now available digitally, but you have to be a subscriber. Okay. Well, we'll link to that in any case. Uh, I think that's a good point. I mean, what you're really working around here is that probably a lot of these things actually aren't that great on the short term. So the daily measurements, certainly minute to minute or anything like all day measurements are, are get finicky, which we'll talk about in a second. But a lot of this is about longer term trends and, and what the different devices are, are good at doing. So we'll link to two great articles that I think if, if you don't believe us or you want to learn more or, or a bit of both, Marco Altini, who does run the HRV for training app, but is also a researcher and he's worked with Aura. He's worked with, he's got a, several PhDs uh, in different things. And so he writes on Substack, I think it's free. You can check it out. And he writes on all things HRV and wearables. And I think he's like us, like he likes the Aura, right? He wears like, one. Yeah, yeah. He's very yeah. pro wearable, yeah. but he's also very nuanced about the usage of the wearable. For sure. And so he is big on, you should have a plan. The HRV thing isn't giving you, you know, your wearable isn't giving you a plan. It's not saying today go hard, even though that's what it might be telling you that it's not the purpose of the thing. We shouldn't be doing that. And, and he's very hesitant when we start, you know, trying to outsource the thinking or, or putting everything in one place is what people will say. You know, this is a, a thing that just takes everything and puts it into one convenient number. He's very hesitant with that because this is an estimation that could change based on an algorithm and is very subject to all sorts of different types of error. So he's very big. I'll try and summarize what he's big on and, and putting words into his mouth, but I'll link to his articles as well so you can read the full story. Uh, but really, it's we want to look at an HRV number and a heart rate number, which are measurements. And generally, that's taken in a spot measurement in the morning, right when you wake up, sort of like Molly was talking about, or overnight is okay, but you need to be careful if it's just sort of random measurements taken through the day. And certainly if it's during the day when you're moving, a lot of these, basically any of the wearables are not great when they're moving. And especially for HRV, because it's based on uh, a measurement of, of variability. So if there's any jiggling, you know, even typing, uh, he says in the one article can really affect the HRV reading because it's trying to really detect beat to beat differences. So any movement in your wrist, which changes the light uh, that sensing this through your skin uh, is going to be affecting it. So you need to be really careful. And with the rings and the watches, this is, you just mentioned the light. This is actually a really good point. I, I know for me, I actually kind of struggle a bit with the ring because my fingers, and this is maybe me, but I think it's common. My fingers seem to change size a fair bit, just like depending on how cold it is or if I've been running or any of these things. 
So one second the ring is like quite loose and the next second it's, or not second, that would be problematic, but like it goes between being like loose and tight. So it's not always the exact same fit. Same, the same is going to be true of your wrist strap, especially, you know, you push it up, you push it down a little bit, like mm -hmm. things do change. So this is not like a microchip's been inserted in you that's perfectly like placed to never get a measurement wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the, that was sort of the main stuff is just to be careful and look more at actual measures, uh, than estimates or, or amalgam numbers is sort of my way of talking about them. But this idea of a readiness score that takes in, you know, the activity and stuff from the previous day, because we know that the wearables with activity aren't great. And so if it's taking in some of this other stuff and penalizing you, cause you had a big day of activity yesterday, and saying, oh, no, you should take it easy because you had a big day of activity. That might not match your plan, but it also, and this is Marco's big point, is it might not match your physiology. If your HRV and everything is still in your baseline, you're normal, then it doesn't really matter as much what you did the day before, assuming it's part of a plan, because your body adapted to it in a similar way to like if your sleep wasn't great right. and you or feeling okay and your HRV is okay, it might still tell you to take it easy because it thinks you didn't sleep, but you know, maybe your dog just moved around a few times and your wrist was moving or something and, and you didn't even wake up. So the sleep scores are, are also sort of estimates in this way. And so it should be very cautiously interpreted and not used to make decisions. And, and again, that's one of his main things is that like making decisions off of most of this stuff is very tricky. So we want to be careful with that. So or your dachshund has curled up on the top of your head and decided to be sleeping there. Well, your head maybe would be now more disruptive. Now he's snoring in your ear. You can see how it would be possible that maybe your wrist is jostling for a variety of reasons, I guess. For sure, for sure. Uh, so I think that's most of that on wearables. I don't know, you know, again, Marco isn't saying don't ever use them. He said a lot of these things have strengths. We just need to be careful that we don't try and make it do everything. You all see people try and use them for you know, really hard intervals where their wrist is, you know, mountain biking and it's jiggling all over the place and it's just not great. Uh, so again, we just need to be careful that if you're using it to measure overnight HRV, that can be great, but you want to try and use those actual measurements. Um, yeah. Yeah. And again, just remember how you feel is, I would argue, the most important metric out of all of them. And, and it is not an ad, but that is why we like HRV for training. It syncs to training peaks, which is one piece we like. So that comes in for the coach to inspect as well. Uh, but it also gives you a survey exactly how Molly described before it tells you anything about your HRV. It actually asks you a survey, which can be customized to have different things. So it asks things about sore, muscle soreness, which we did mention in our original episode uh, is, is not captured and muscle soreness is actually one of the biggest indicators or, or limiters on performance. And, and there's no way for these sensors to know that. So even just that little bit of, Oh, like it's not the full picture as much as we want it to be, because you could be feeling great from all like your yoga, but if you haven't you know been training, you might not perform well mm -hmm. or vice versa. You might've done, you know, a cyclist does a 10 minute run or what if I, you know, pulls a heavy deadlift, you know, and then you can't move because you're so sore the next day or something like right, that, right? right? Blow a hamstring, right? So there's obviously these things that aren't captured and that need some sort of person in the back end here doing something. Ooh, and last thing I'll add is if you haven't been using said wearable for more than, I think it's like three months, 
The wearables want you to keep using them, which means that after a week, they start giving you recommendations. However, it really takes a couple of months for the wearable to really be giving you effective recommendation, like, or even accurate, like at all accurate Just recommendations. baseline idea, right? Which is the main thing we wanted of this is it's not that your HRV is going to go higher and your resting heart rate is going to go lower forever. You know, as Marco says in the one article, where will this end? Like what forever? Uh, or, you know, does it just keep going up all the time? You know, what happened? Like, I guess it'll go down. You know, what, what is that? So we actually want just our normal, whatever it is, to be about there. There's certainly some seasonal variation that happens over weeks and months. Uh, you know, you're going to see changes, but a lot of it is within our baseline. And then if it comes out of that baseline range, which HRV for training uh, does a great job of, of demonstrating this, then, you know, maybe we pay a bit of attention. And if you see that your, your baseline, especially the rolling average comes out of that normal, you might pay attention and say, well, why is that? And then start looking, oh, I stopped training. So then there is a bit of a, a change in that resting heart rate, right? Over the course of a few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so, so definitely that baseline, that what is your normal is really the big question. And just, you know, looking at why did it change? How did it change? Exactly. Okay, before we get into our last question uh, about stuff that maybe you want to try, let's talk about something that you definitely want to try, and that is AG1. So formerly known as Athletic Greens, this is your daily multivitamin, uh, probiotic, prebiotic, adaptogen, all of the good stuff, nothing you don't want. It is NSF certified for sport, which means it contains everything it says it does and nothing that it doesn't mention. Uh, so it's very clean. I think it's very tasty. It is my number one daily habit. Mix it up every morning. Forces me to chug a lot of water, which frankly, I've uh, I've beta tested myself here. I do not drink enough water if I do not have my AG1 in the morning. Mm -hmm. That's a great pro for sure. And we like that, you know, it's that one thing you can put a lot of belief in and not be, you know, picking a bunch of different things and spending a ton of money on tons of different supplements. It's all in this AG1 product. Exactly. So if you want to check it out, you can head over to drinkag1.com backslash Molly H. You get five free travel packs and a free gear supply of immune supporting vitamin D with your purchase. It's so easy. It shows up at your door every month, makes life very simple. Uh, cannot recommend it enough. Again, drinkag1.com backslash Molly H to take ownership over your health. All right. So here is the nuance question here is uh, ice plunging, saunas they're all super trendy right now and i mean we could obviously do like full episodes on ice baths and infrared sauna and regular sauna and all of that but generally speaking you know where do these have a place in our endurance athlete lifestyles or not mm. yeah it's everywhere now you know everyone has seen it seems like everyone on instagram has a, a little bucket on you know yeah. a garbage can they're sitting in i'm not gonna lie we are saved from like falling victim to the instagram ads of the cold plunge primarily because our condo board has a rule of a maximum of 1.5 liters of water on your porch at any time not sure how they measure it not sure where the 1.5 liters came from you know what a lot of issues with them in general, but uh, <laughs> let's not get Molly started. On let's not get Molly board. started on that. Uh, anyway, we do not have an ice plunge partially for that reason. Um, also, so it's interesting because I mean, if a sauna company or a hot tub company or a cold plunge company was like, Hey, we're going to sponsor you and we're going to give you lots of money. I don't know. I don't know. So if they were interested, maybe 
just there. So I'm not, I, I don't dislike any of these things. Uh, so just, I'll say that I don't have any agenda on this. I don't, I don't, probably my bias is a bit not to do them, but I do like heat, especially. I think we know heat is performance enhancing. So strictly to your question about endurance athletes, I would say the big thing is, you know, I think we want to be looking at heat adaptation uh, if we're going to events. And then also, I think, you know, your coach is, is quite uh, a big proponent. David is a, quite a proponent of heat training uh, for plasma volume and to try and increase uh, performance uh, just in general. But I think most races now are, are done in some sort of heat. So I think that's a no brainer. We want to try and try and ease that into our training if we have time. But a lot of us can do this just naturally with the seasons based on where we are. So what I'm hearing from you is I can get that infrared sauna where you sit in a chair and then you zip up and you've got your hands coming out. It's the only thing I don't know about infrared. I think it's fine. I don't know enough about it. I assume, you know, there's heat is heat, so it should be okay, but it sounds sketchy to me. I'm sorry, these blankets, but <laughs> it's really funny that we've just rebranded an electric blanket. <laughs> and then it's like, what is the electrical cost on this? Yeah, that I, I can't answer. All I know is I kind of want one. Um, especially because we are heading back to winter in Ontario pretty soon. So it's actually more of a coziness thing. But I do think, you know, we're talking about ice plants, we're talking about sauna, we're talking about hot tub, any of these things, not only is it a monetary cost, like I am joking about buying one, but like it, it's going to cost money if I do. It's also a time cost. So I think this is where you and I get very iffy about any of these uh, recovery or training modalities that are going to take time away because most people we work with barely have enough time to train, you know, eight hours a week, even. So now you're throwing this stuff in and it's very easy to say like, oh, well, cold plunge only takes a couple of minutes. You're only in there for, you know, three, four minutes, whatever. Sure. But you have to get the cold plunge set up. You have to, you know, take off your clothes. You have to, you know, you're in, you're out, you put your toe in. It takes like probably 10 minutes to get the like four minutes in there because you're hemming and hawing about getting in. You've got to get out. You've got to warm back up. Uh, you're probably going to be useless at work for at least 10, 15 minutes because you're going to be shaking and chattering. Whatever. Uh, people say you get really a good focus, right? And you're good mood. I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see your good mood after going in the Georgian Bay in, in October, but... Well, I have done it in a few different ways. Once, you know, we were in Victoria at the, what is that called? CSI Pacific. And, and we did a cold dung. And I would say my mood very much improved. Oh my God. I'm just going to start having like a bucket of ice water. And whenever you're in a grump. I'm... So, but I really don't like being cold, but it was interesting. I would say, you know, to me, I, I look at a lot of stuff. I, I come from this, you know, I really liked the paleo diet. I still like it which is not pop as popular to say as it once was. Uh, I, I just like that evolutionary, you know, did we do it? It's not perfect. You know, olive oil is great. They didn't have it way back then, but I sort of like it. And so things like, you know, the polar bear dip, that seems like something probably people have done for a while. Remember when we were in Ireland and yeah. we just saw that herd of elderly women, like just going into, into the, the ocean. Sea? And I mean, not quite the same, but I mean, they probably have, that, that's probably part of their competition too, right? So, I mean, they would probably do some sort of swim thing, but I don't know. Maybe they were doing that every day. I would guess they were probably meeting once or twice a week as most swim groups do. So there's that. And then I think that seasonal rituals, no problem with that. I think that if that's your thing, you know, probably it makes sense in the same way we set resolutions, you start a new year. That seems like something we've done forever, Right in the history of humanity, there's probably always been some sort of rituals or things we did. So, if if polar bear dip is your thing, I think that 
makes a lot of sense to me. The research, I'll put a review study from, I think it was last year, uh, but no matter, it, it's somewhat inconclusive, which isn't surprising. It, it's not really clear, you know, the effects on athletes versus quote unquote normal people who aren't exercising. And, and the way I look at it for a lot of my clients is the time piece, money piece. You know, a lot of people have some money you can throw it one way. We like gadgets. Maybe this is like the secret pill. So I'm hesitant around all that. But the the piece to me is, I, I just don't know if you mentioned it early in this is, is if, if we're having trouble finding enough hours of training, I just don't know if this is the thing, you know, if it was heat adaptation, maybe, but it's strictly from a bike coaching standpoint, I just wonder, you know, could this be that extra 30 minutes to get up to say a 90 minute ride midweek or even three hours? Like, I don't know how long these ice things take, you know, you're building a fire in a sauna. I, I don't know. Uh, or sleep. We know that most people could sleep more and see a benefit in health and in performance. So this is where it's not sexy, but this is where I wonder when, when we see some of these gadgets, especially the ones that are going to be time consuming, all of these things are time consuming. If you own a hot tub, it's super expensive and there's inevitably going to be maintenance of some type uh, to keep it running and, and, you know, going hot tubs, probably not bad as far as maintenance, but there's, there's something you have to do. And, and that might be your hobby. And if it's your hobby, more power to you, but that that's sort of my, my thoughts, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, but also if anyone wants to give us a boatload of money to put an ice plunge out, you know what? I'm ready to fight my well, condo board. So, uh, probably more on the sauna, but yeah, I guess we'll take whatever. Sure. And now I wanted to bring up, so we talked about heat as performance. enhancing. that seems pretty clear that there's ways to do that and have performance enhancing. There's the cold on the other side. Maybe there's like a health benefit there. Maybe for some people there could be I don't know, like a recovery benefit as you're getting older, maybe, but again, it's not clear. Unlike the heat science is, is quite, I would say quite clear. I, someone could prove me wrong, I guess, you know, there's risks like any training at some point you could do too much heat training and, uh, have issues, you know, overtrain saddle sores. Uh, what else could happen? You know, depletion, you know, you just, you'd, you're not drinking enough. You have dehydration's pretty not performance. Enhanced. So there's, there's certainly risk. And so that's where that middle of the road, you probably you would end up doing pretty well if you just rode your bike and went to bed on time and ate enough food uh, without doing any of these things on the far end. In the middle, speaking of that hot tub, we did talk about this last time. And I do think the relaxation heat, so having a soak, that I think is going to be good for most people. It, you know, you're training, it's good to have a soak, you know, on a Sunday, go and have a soak that, you know, go for a normal person sauna where you're not suffering, remembering that heat training is usually uncomfortable. You're not having a, a beer and doing heat training. You're, you're suffering. Your heart rate is up. You want to get out. It, it's not overly comfortable. Whereas that soak in the middle, I think is, is going to be quite good. So I don't have a problem with a, you know, recreational sauna, you know, it's that difference between almost like going to a yoga class versus going to like a two hour hot yoga, like cardio class or something where it's getting into that extreme, that middle ground, I think makes lots and lots of sense. So if you have a friend with a hot tub, make sure you stay friends with them. Love it. Love it. <laughs> That's All right. maybe the pull quote for this episode. I think if so. you have a friend with a hot tub, stay friends with them. All right. On that note, we'll wrap up here. Uh, hit us up with any questions over at consummateathlete.com, over at consummateathlete on Instagram. We are definitely looking for more of these Q&A questions. We've been doing more Q&As lately. We are very jazzed on it. So please keep them coming. All right. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. 
If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 